I'd like to welcome all of you to this special town hall episode of Street Soldiers, our very first with the NYPD, the hip hop community, and our community right here. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Lisa Evers, at Hot 97, at Fox 5 NY. And uh, this is an unprecedented event, so you are taking part right now in hip hop history, in the history of our communities, and in the history of our city. So let me stop talking and let me get our panel talking and introduce them to you. This man right here, you know him as Fat Joe, the hip hop superstar. You may not know him as the longtime community supporter. He has done more for our communities in a quiet way in many cases, going back since the beginning of his career. He was the first hip hop artist to ever appear on Hot 97 Street Soldiers when they told us hip hop wouldn't last, that I wouldn't have a news career. And his involvement with the community went back to, goes back to uh, 2002 when, when he helped us form Hip Hop Votes where we registered thousands of voters from the hip hop community in the uh, presidential elections that followed. So he's been very deeply involved in many ways for a long, long time. And Joe, it's, it's great for you to make time to be here with us. We're so excited. We love you, Lise. Thank you, thank you. Also, also with us, also with us is Chief Terrence Monahan. He's the NYPD Chief of Patrol. The reason we have him here is not just because he's got a lot of gold stars, but he's also one of the people behind the this whole focus on this neighborhood policing, which I have to tell you about in the beginning. I was very skeptical about. I thought it was a, a PR political thing, but I've been out there in the communities and are, 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 am seeing some changes. So, Chief Monahan, great to have you with us. Thank you very much. Um, those of you know City Council Member Jumani Williams, he represents Brooklyn. <laughs> he's, on the, he's on the Public Safety Committee and he's also been on Street Soldiers many times talking about what he sees happening in his district and also in his city and his views on the police department. So Jumani, great to have you Thank with you. us. Can we just shout out Lisa Evers who's been giving us a voice before Man. many people were. I want to make sure we give her. be here if I didn't have the support of so many people, so thank everybody that's here, because you're the reason that we're able to do this. I really appreciate it. Also with us is police officer Eric M Morales. He's 23 years old. He listens to hip hop. He allegedly, I'm saying that because I haven't seen the video yet, he allegedly break dances to hip hop too, which I don't know, we may have to have a little, little demo later on, but we'll see how things go. Let's deal with the serious issues first. And he, he came on um, the job of police officer to the department in January 2016, which was right after a lot of the controversies and a lot of the tensions. So we have questions for him as well. But Joe, I want to start with you. How do you feel things are right now, the vibe on the streets? Well, uh, my experience as of late after the Eric Gardner situation is I've come across a lot of police officers who've been trying to make the effort, been trying to communicate more, been trying to ask me whenever they speak to me, when they see me in Harlem or in the Bronx, Yo, how can we make things better? And... Uh, to be honest with you, I always like to come from a position of strength. And maybe I'm older now, but the, the most strength you could ever have is love. And I always like to have a peaceful outcome. I always pick love over everything else. So I'm very optimistic about where we can go or whatever the case may be, you know, I love everybody. I want a peaceful outcome at the end of this uh, conversation, but I got to keep it as real as possible. Oh, and I know you will. <laughs> Chief uh, Terrence Monahan, the neighborhood policing concept. Joe talked about a little bit of a different vibe there, but does the whole department embrace that? Is it, is it department-wide, or is it just in certain places? No, this, <clears throat> this is a whole department philosophy. It's a change. It's a whole cultural change in the way we police. The concept here is to give discretion to our cops. As Joe just said, cops were able to talk to them, ask them how to, how to make change, 
Well, that's where it has to come. It has to come from the ground level. It has to come from the cops like Eric, from the, the cops that are out here that are on the street every day in Harlem, in the Bronx, that are talking to the community members. We don't move forward as a city with us trying to decide what to be done. We have to work together with the communities, have the conversations, and move forward. Are we finished yet? Absolutely not. This is, this is a long cultural change. You know, we started in 2014, and we're still moving. We're in uh, 51 of our 77 commands right now. Hopefully by next year we can finish the entire city and just keep that change going as we move forward. Jumani, you sit on the City Council Public Safety Committee. You hear hours and hours and hours of testimony about the police. You've had encounters with police yourself as a mem member of the City Council, as a man of color. What do you think about where we're at right now? Well, I've been black for a pretty long time. Uh, <laughs> so. I've had a lot of encounters uh, with the police. Uh, I'm, I reek of Brooklyn, so I'm born and bred in Brooklyn. Um, I have to say most of my encounters have been great. Uh, that, doesn't take away, that doesn't take away from the ones that are negative and the experiences that many of us experience. So I, I have to be honest, we're not where we were a few years ago, and that's important to lift up because there are changes that are quantifiable and are tangible. And I think part of that is because of what happened in this country. And I do think it's because of the change in administration that we have, uh, the understanding of where we need to go. And so that is important that we say that. Um, there are, as mentioned in that video, whether it's the NCA program, um, stop, slow down, although the breakdown of who's being stopped is still problematic and who's being arrested for marijuana is still problematic, but those numbers are down. Um, but there are two areas where we haven't gone where we need to go, and that is in accountability and transparency. And those are the two areas that I think are preventing the changes that have actually occurred from being felt on the ground. All right, I want to talk about some specific examples of that in just a moment, but I want to bring um, Eric Morel. I mean, to be honest with you, um, I would have preferred this whole town hall being done in like a neutral zone, right? That's another way we can see transparency, right? And uh, I'm, a, I'm sorry, but I'm just, I'm just okay, saying, but I, but you know, I really don't care where we at. So I let it be known what I got to say, but I'm just going to be honest with you. That probably bothered a couple of people walking in here because they felt like it wasn't neutral. So that, that's how we're working towards the transparency. Okay, may, may I just address that? And that I understand your point to anybody else that's thinking about that. Uh, we did a show on Rikers Island. We were invited by the police department to put together a town hall. It was an effort from our news department, which is strives for impartiality, and also street soldiers, where we try to present all sides on Hot 97. And quite frankly, this was an amazing facility, an amazing opportunity. And considering one year ago, we could barely get the former police commissioner to call in to Hot 97 to have an invitation from the NYPD to say we are inviting everybody, the public, the Hot 97 listeners, the Fox 5 listeners, our viewers to come in and be a part of this discussion. How could we say no to that? And if any of you have spaces, hey, we're always happy. This is our third town hall in three months. We'll go anywhere and, and that's open. But Joe, I appreciate you, you know, feeling you can say that. Chief, did you want to say something? Yeah, I just Again, this, we're having this event here today, but we're having these events all over the city. Each one of our NCOs is having their own meeting. The cops are having a meeting by themselves. We don't allow the bosses to show up. They are running the meetings with their communities in the local community, within their area, within their sector. So we want to come out to our communities. We don't want people to have to come all the way down to Manhattan to meet with us. We want to go meet you at your home, go to your locations. And speaking about that today, I was on uh, Hot 97 with Ebro. Did, uh, did a show with him this morning. So I was on their grounds you today. talk about it, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> talk about going into the lion's den. Let me, let me bring Eric in here. I don't want to let, leave him out. What made you want to become a police officer at a, at a time when there was so much negativity? Uh, thank you, Lisa. Um, I, being a police officer is something that I've always, you know, aspired to do and aspired to be. Um, coming on at the time that I did, there was, there was a lot going on. Um, my prior experience before this, I was, uh, I was in retail. I was in management like you know, many other college students. Um, but I had the opportunity there. I, w I actually worked at a vitamin shop. And there I was able to help people with their goals through things that, I, that I've learned and through my experiences. So being able to pass that on to somebody and change, change 
their, their life in, in a small way translates to what we're able to do every day as police officers on this job. You know, we're able to reach out in many different ways, you know, speak to somebody in the community and maybe change their life a little bit that day. Joe, what about, we, we, we've been talking about since 2014, but do you think especially Oof. for men, you can, you can forget some of the things that happened before that? Man, I don't know if I'm describing it right, but Abner Louima, Amadou Diallo, Yusuf Hawkins. I mean, this has been going on forever. I'm 47. So the ugliness of the police department that I've seen in my life is almost unbearable, unbearable to describe. So it, I could only wish and hope for positivity. That's why I said, man, the cops are meeting these days. They're trying to at least talk. It used to be punch you in your face, then ask you for your license later. <laughs> no, that really happened, Commissioner. It really happened. And um, it's, 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 it's so hard for the people to trust. And it all goes back into racism. And it's something I call almost like ancestral generational racism so now what i what i mean by that because i'm a rapper let me try to make it simple for everybody in here because we were running out of time for this oh i'm sorry oh no what i mean like if the former officers a, a lot of them were racist and we also know that the police officer are like it's like a family business your grandfather your father you your son where does it stop? This is a family business. So how could we cut out the racism, okay, right? Let me get a response from Chief Monahan real quick about the racism and the diversity, where, where we're at with that. All right, if you look at our city. department right now, we are now a minority police department. More than 50% of our police officers right now are minority. So we've moved forward, recruiting efforts in every single neighborhood throughout this city. And it's one of the things, George, you just said that I, I kind of got to take a little umbrage with. We can't, we can't paint the picture of everybody as all cops are racist, all cops are this. Every one of our cops is an individual. We are all individuals, just like everyone in this audience, you are. We are all individuals. We all have our own humanity. And it's important that people see us for who we are. We are not just a blue uniform. Each and every one of us has a family we go home to, we live with, we're parts of these communities. I was a Bronx guy, I grew up in the Bronx, I lived in the Bronx. We all come from these neighborhoods. 65% of the hires on this job right now live in the city, but so it's important is, as we move forward. What, this is what we've been telling you for years, that it shouldn't be the men in blue, the gang in blue, because that's how the young kids and the voiceless kids perceive it, but more as a humanity issue, where whether you black, Chinese, Spanish, white, man, have love for me, man. Have some type of compassion. So, I just want to jump in. You, we need to take a short break okay. and then we'll, cut, we'll come right back right. to you. This is Street Soldiers, our special town hall episode on the NYPD and you policing in our communities, making changes. But have they gone far enough? I'm Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yo, what up? This your homie Ace Hood and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to this special episode of Street Soldiers. It is our town hall on the NYPD and you policing in our communities. I'm your host, Lisa Evers, and let me introduce the great panel that we have for the discussion. The one and only hip-hop superstar, Fat Joe, long history of supporting our communities, very interested in what's going on, and always there to give a voice to the voiceless. Great to have you, Joe. Also with us is Chief Terrence Monahan. He's the NYPD's Chief of Patrol, and he's one of the main architects of the police department's switch to this neighborhood policing model that they're trying to take citywide. Chief Monahan, great to have you. Thank you, Lisa. Also with us is City Council Member Jumani Williams from Brooklyn. He's also on the City Council Public Safety Committee. Jumani, great to have you back. Thank you. And also with us is Police Officer Eric Morales. He's an NYPD officer and also allegedly a breakdancer. <laughs> 
Thank you, Lisa. So, Jumani, let me let me start with you on this. In term in terms of what's being said about the attitudes and systemic racism, what can you add to that? So, I did want to make sure we're all looking at the same thing. So, I appreciate uh, what the what the chief said and, and this truth. But uh, the diversity is more at the bottom, and so it's the um, the offices. Uh, the higher up you go, the less diverse the the, uh, the department still is. And that's important because when you go higher up, it's the people who have uh, additional power and control. And even still, even though we have more diversity at the bottom, we're actually still missing out on, on black men in particular. And, and that diversity is not going up. So when we have the, the promotions, it's usually white males that are still able to, to go up. And I know we're working on that, uh, but I just want to make sure we, we point that out. And the other thing is, we have to make sure, because I know sometimes when I'm speaking to someone and we're talking about racism, someone believes I'm calling them a racist. And it's important because uh, I'm not saying you are. You might be, I don't want to take it off the table. But what I'm saying is <laughs> we have to talk about the systemic racism that is existent, and not just the police department, by the way, in most of the institutions that deal with these communities, which is why we are where we are. And so we have to be able to have that conversation honestly, which I actually believe this administration is doing more of, but I've tried to have these conversations in a way that people stop listening. Because when people think you call them a racist, even if they might be, they stop listening. But what we have to all agree on is there has been institutional, systemic, and systematic racism and classism toward these communities for a very, very long time. And that's how we've gotten here. And in order to unravel that, we have to be honest about it. And the more people fight that, the more confrontation there will be because we can't break through unless people are honest about that. Just jump in, everybody jump in, whoever wants to talk. Uh, I just want to touch on that. So we didn't get to the climate and we didn't get to where we are today overnight. We're not going to get to where we want to be overnight either. So we are taking small steps every single day. Every single day we are getting a little bit closer to achieving the goals that we, want, that, that we do want to achieve. Myself, as mentioned before, I did join this department pretty young. I'm 23. I do come from a multicultural background. Uh, I'm of Puerto Rican and Italian descent. Um, it, it, it starts when you come on the job. I am a uh, multicultural background, and it just t takes one, one step at a time, one day at a time. And we'll, we'll get to those points that, that, we, that we want to be at. We'll, we are becoming a more and more diverse department. We are over 60% of, of a multicultural, you know, officers in, in blue. You know, we, we want to be transparent to, um, to uh, Joe's point. I want to, I want to, right. <laughs> I want to, nah, nah, right. I want to, I want to, um, because I, I want to be as open and as honest as I can. Right. And I come from poverty. I come from having nothing. I've seen both sides of the fence. Right. And well, that, with that being said, I can't bash every single police officer in this world. I'm going to tell you a story happened to me and I'm going to try to say it real fast. Many, many years ago, I was in the Bronx in the projects visiting my mother and my son choked on a candy. He was about three years old. And I ran down the stairs with my son. And I ran across the street. And now, when I do the numbers, if I, read, if I ran through every light to get to the hospital, my son would have died. By the grace of God, a police officer, a young lady, she stopped the car. And she jumped out and saw something was wrong. She said, what's wrong? I said, he's choking. We don't know how to, we're in the hood. We don't know how to do the Heimlich position. <laughs> so, that's powerful. She saved my son's life, right? So I can't be honest and tell you that every cop is a devil, is, 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 is bad, is, is, is corrupt, because it's, it's just not true, right? But we have to make changes for the people and the only reason I come out here and I step myself out and I really don't care is because I know there's so many kids they ain't got money they ain't rappers they ain't nothing they ain't so many people that they can scream as loud as they want jump up and down and they remain voiceless so that's why I come out here you, you can that's why I come out here to tell you what was what I feel is going on? And just to, I mean to piggyback one, and I hear what you're saying. There's changes, and I'm always gonna lift that up. 
I just want to say for the people who are dealing with this, we deserve to be there already, right? So that's just important. So every time we say, no, no, I know. I just I want to give say. Chief Monahan a chance to respond. Okay. To. Do you mind finish your point? I'm well, sorry. because I, I want to piggyback on what on Joe was saying, because I have I have stories too, right? So I, I when I I always fit description. I had locks, earrings. Um, uh, I remember I had a butterfly butterfly knife in high school, and a cop said if I take you into the precinct, I'm gonna have to charge you with something higher, and didn't let me go. But then years later, when I was a council member, I was arrested at Labor Day trying to go into uh, an event that I was invited to. So both of those things exist. And we just have to be honest about it. But what is really important, and I want to get this through, is one of the issues with policing, and this is across the country, police are sent to these communities to do the job of so many institutions that they don't have the equipment to do. So if we would fix and send the resources that have been missing in these communities, jobs, education, proper housing, we wouldn't need those police. We're treating chronic problems with acute solutions. All right, and that's a, that's a good point. Chief Monaghan, what about that? Because, because when, when we talk about issues in our, in our society, like homeless, homelessness, it's the, it's the police officers, the 911 call goes to you guys. A lot of these other issues, the 911 call goes and police officers have to respond. What do you say about what Jumani, that basically it all falls in the lap? Of the police. And, and it's always been that way. With the police, we are the last resort. We're, we're the ones that you're going to call if something happens, if there's a problem in your neighborhood. And it's our responsibility to, to step up and do what we can. Can we solve everything? Absolutely not. But I tell you what, we have a lot of people, a lot of cops, a lot of initiative to try something that'll step out, that'll know how to do the Heimlich maneuver if you need it. And I, to, to, to Germani's point before about uh, racial injustice, we know in 2014 things weren't going right. We know there had to be changed. There's absolutely no way we can make that change overnight. It's going to take time, but we're moving in that direction. We acknowledge that there were problems in the past and that we have to move and we have to talk. The problem is when we're looking at TV and on camera seeing blacks and Latinos getting murdered on TV, and the officers not getting held accountable. It makes the most peaceful man in the world cringe. And what he said was powerful. He said, man, cops, I know if, if I'm dying, I'm calling the cops, right? <laughs> they robbed my house, I'm calling them, right? I need them. But we asking the police officers to be psychiatrists. We asking them to be f family. You know, you arguing with your wife. We asking them to break up the fight. We, we asking a lot of, of you, a lot of you, right? I got that. I never really saw that angle before. But um, we need accountability, man. And the people keep feeling like maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope. Let me tell you a secret. I am furious. I am outrage I want to die when I see blacks and Latinos die by policemen on TV but I feel the same way when I see police officers die I feel the same way because I love these people because they're human they're our people and they save a lot of people so who are we gonna hold accountable for these deaths when police officers are shooting kids 12 years old 11 years old for playing in a park with a toy gun and, and the difference between those two, because I, I feel the Wait, same you're way. You're talking about Cleveland, right? Yeah, but the difference, but the difference between when um, an officer is killed and it's horrible, like we all should pause and say that person is not going home to their family. But I guarantee you, someone will be held accountable. When it's the other way around, the accountability isn't there. Okay, let me ask Chief Monahan because there is this perception that you know people and a lot of the people that I've been talking to and a lot of people would agree, yes, there has been progress, but there's still a very strong sense that if somebody else dies as a result of their actions, most likely they're going to pay some kind of penalty, at least lose their job. They may get arrested. They may do time. But if a police officer clearly does something that is illegal, according to the department rules, like an illegal chokehold, they don't lose their job. Can you help us understand what that's all about? Absolutely. And first off, just the, the idea we talk about the, the, the Tamar Rice case in Cleveland is that something happens nationwide in this country, 
it reflects on every cop. This is New York City. What we are worried about are the residents and the people of New York City and how we police here in New York City. And listen, we have a, a robust uh, internal affairs division that really looks deeply at these cases. Not everything can be tried in, in the media or on TV or in the paper. There has to be a process. And there's a long process between district attorney's office, U.S. attorney's office, and then we get to take them into our trial room. Just a, a, a little known fact that uh, people don't realize, since 2014, 185 police officers have been fired for different acts that they've occurred. That's something that never seems to get out. It's something that we as a department probably don't get out as much as we should. But most people, when I ask them, how many cops do you think were fired? I think Ebro today said, oh, probably around 20. 185 cops we've taken to our trial room. All right, that case is still currently being investigated by the federal by the federal district. We cannot institute any sort of disciplinary actions that could interfere with a criminal investigation. So, so listen, and that's important because, uh, and I, by the way, I think the commission, the chief. We are really, we should be where we're supposed to be, but we are going there, and I think it's because of changes in administration. At the same time, I saw a police officer a few years ago uh, get punished for giving someone a ticket and saying that it was because of the mayor. And as was just mentioned, Daniel Pantaleo is getting raises upon raises and waiting. And it, it is an issue, and I believe the police department does have more summary ability than is being executed. I agree there's, there's, there's other, um, there are other channels that are going through, but the longer it takes for justice to occur, the harder it is for the good changes that are happening to hit the ground. We just have to, we just have to say that. Yeah, and real quick response on that case. I, the I, I understand frustration that people have that the process hasn't been out publicly, but this is still an investigation. This is being done by the Department of Justice. This is a man who, if the Department of Justice moved forward, would face prison time. We, uh, the idea of losing a job as opposed to a criminal investigation, we have to. We are mandated to wait at this point to let them finish their investigation. All right, we're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers, our special town hall on the NYPD and you. Policing in our communities. We'll be back right after this. Yo, this is Shaggy and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, real people. Only on Hot 97. Shug it up. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this special episode of Street Soldiers. It is our town hall on the NYPD and you, policing in our communities. They've been making changes, but have they gone far enough? And we have an incredible panel to talk about this. The one and only Fat Joe, hip-hop superstar, longtime community supporter, and... Uh, He's got a big heart and helps a lot of people out all along the way that you don't hear about. So, Joe, great to have you with us for this. We appreciate it. Thank you, Lee. Also with us is Chief Terrence Monahan. He's the NYPD Chief of Patrol. I don't know, maybe you're going to be the commissioner after this. <laughs> You get in trouble. For, um, he's the, he is one of the main people that, that helped push for this neighborhood policing model, uh, where the, urging the police to be more proactive in the community. Um, Chief, great to have you with us. Also with us Thank is you. City Council Member Jumani Williams. He's on the City Council Public Safety Committee. Jumani, great to have you. Thank you. And also with us is Police Officer Eric Morales. He's with the 7-9 Precinct in Bed-Stuy. And uh, he's been a police officer since January of 2016, 23 years old, and allegedly a breakdancer. Got to keep it 100 right here. All right. Let me talk about the re I want to talk about the retraining because it's one of the things, uh, Chief, the mayor said after 2014, every police officer would be re retrained in de-escalation techniques as a result of the Eric Garner tragedy. Has that happened? Yes. The entire department has gone through it at this point. What does point. that mean? Like, what... A it's training in how to, how to speak with people, how to, how to de-escalate a situation for the most part, how, how to go in there and use words to, to calm a person down, to calm a situation down, and, and to move it forward without you having to resort to violence. Jumani, what do you think about that? I mean, I think it's great that, that, that a lot of people before tried to poo-poo that, like that was nothing. I mean, the whole department's been retrained. That is an amazing thing. There are other amazing things that have, have happened, but again, I think the primary thing that people are looking for is increased transparency and accountability when an officer does something wrong. That will go the longest way. When people watch on TV a black or Latino person shot unarmed and someone is held accountable, 
I think you'll see a breakthrough like never before. Chief, what can you do to address this, this feeling there's two systems of justice, one for police and one for the average person? Well, when we're talking about uh, transparency, that's what we're all about. As you know, we're under the body camera system. The body cameras are uh, our officers aware, and it's rolling out into a, a lot of uh, different precincts. As a matter of fact, we had an encounter just the other day up in the Bronx that we have recorded on body camera video. So that's something that's going to be released tomorrow for everyone to see what actually happened. So I think it's around 12 minutes worth of video that's going to be released. And as we move forward and more of this department gets it, it'll be able to give that firsthand situation of what's going on out there. Where, where, that's true. We should uplift that. Uh, the cameras have to roll out a little quickly. But the reversal of 50A uh, is a huge problem. What is it, real quick? Uh, that was when we used to be able to see what was happening uh, when officers were being uh, disciplined. This administration has reversed that, and we can no longer see that. And that is a huge but problem. You do something about that at City Council. Right? No, it's a state issue. Uh, but 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 the the way it was being read before was that we can see it. All of a sudden, there's been a different interpretation okay, so of what that is. is. This is there's different players involved in this. Let's go to the uh, audience questions. What's your question or comment? And thank you for being here tonight. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Terry Saucier. I'm the director of employment services for Opportunities for a Better Tomorrow. And my question is for the chief, right? Um, so Opportunities for a Better Tomorrow is a Brooklyn-based company, Best Out, Flatbush, all of it. Jamani, you work with us. And um, my question is, what I'm noticing, I work with young adults, 16 and 24, and a lot of them are being ticketed for things like spitting, chewing gum, you know, standing out in front of a building, and it's hindering their um, opportunities when it comes to employment services. You know, um, in some cases, even colleges that have started doing background checks as well. So, you know, I want to know what are you doing about that because those are meaningless things because a lot of these young adults may get a ticket and may not know they have to answer that ticket in court, and it turns into a felony. On their name yes. And it goes into the system. Yes. Chief, what, about, what about these quality of life summonses? Because if you don't pay it or you don't go show up for the hearing you, after a certain amount of time, you end up with a warrant and it starts out, puts you in that criminal database. Exactly. Again, this is something that we're giving discretion to our cops. Past practices, we were, we, it was a very arrest-oriented, summons-oriented department. It was coming from the top down. We're now giving our cops discretion, whether or not they need to resolve that issue. We always have to deal with quality of life complaints. We go out to any community meeting, it's the first thing any commanding officer or any cop gets is the different quality of life issues on their block. So yes, our cops are going to go out there and deal with it, but they have options. They don't have to arrest, they don't have to summons, as long as they can resolve the issue. And that's what it's all about. I know the city council has introduced a lot of bills where we now have civil options for some of these summonses that we can give out. And with a civil option, then it doesn't record onto your... Uh, onto your criminal record. It's just a fine at that point. It doesn't put you in the database. Joe, what do you think about that? Oh, <laughs> It's been the biggest gimmick since I've been born. Uh, grew up in the projects. My father would run downstairs before 7.59 in the morning because 8 o'clock was the tickets. And it never failed that the police car was right on time. <laughs> and I remember when I moved to Throsneck in the Bronx because I caught some money. And there were cars triple parked and kids playing hockey that never got a ticket. And that's when my eyes woke to that. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and... I am not going to sugarcoat. I was a very bad guy when I was a kid, right? But with age, I've come to realize there was more opportunities for me. We just got to fight. A lot of our youth don't know where they're going. They're confused. But as they grow in life, they turn into fathers, family men. They turn into thinking about life, and they better their lives. And targeting these guys with their tickets and all that have always felt to me as if it was a way to take us away from competing for the right jobs. Okay, real quick and then we'll go to the question. Council, and to the credit of the NYPD, we did work a lot 
the Speaker, Melissa Margarito, the Chair, Vanessa Gibson, to decriminalize these tickets. Uh, and I think we've gone a long way. One of the things that's missing uh, is that I don't think we concretized it enough. Uh, we gave too much discretion, I think, uh, to the NYPD. And if we have another administration come, they can reverse a lot of the good work that we've done. So that's still, that's still concerning. And a lot of the DAs do forgiveness days where you can get your outstanding uh, warrants resolved and not have to worry about yes. uh, being put through the system or having it on your record. Except and I post those, post those, except Staten Island. I post those on my Twitter when uh, we get them from the Brooklyn DA and the Bronx DA, especially, and Manhattan does it as well. Great, let's try to squeeze in one more question or comment. Um, thank you, Lisa, for having this event. It's really great. Uh, my name is Barry Cooper. I'm actually a program coordinator in Bushwick Houses for the Next Steps program. So I will say that we do have NCO officers, Officer Connor, who's always in there. We actually did a workshop last week on implicit bias, and we had a couple of officers there. And it, I, you know, that, I think that it is something that's moving along really well. But I have a question. I've heard you say several times about giving officers discretion, and I heard the commissioner mention that as well. My question is, how do you measure discretion between each officer department when you know these individuals may come from different communities and they have different upbringing so when they interact with somebody who may suffer with post-traumatic stress or depression they able to like use their own thought on what to do with that individual we have to trust them yeah we have to trust our cops we have to have you know we can't ask uh, the people out here in the communities to trust our cops. If us as an agency don't trust our cops to be able to make decisions. We put them out there to go out there and deal with, with you. We have evaluation systems like we've talked about where we can see what they're doing and, and the neighborhood. If a cop is in a neighborhood and he's doing things wrong, there are avenues for you to let us know. The, you have a cop that you talk, Connor, in, in the Bushwick houses. If someone's coming into your neighborhood and it's not doing the right thing, talk to him. He'll let us know. This communication has to happen. We have to know if there's someone in our department that's not doing the right thing. We have to be able to talk about it and, and address it. And that's what this is all about. It's all about talking with everyone and communicating. Do you want to say something, John, that? Uh, something that's been, uh, something that's just been like bouncing off my head, right? And just, it won't stop, right? So I got to address it is... It's even worse when black cops and Latino cops are standing there watching by brutality, corruption, racism is going on. Shame on them even more. And we're not over here talking about, because I love white people. Let's not get this. Let, let's not get this. And this ain't political. This ain't rap. This ain't nothing. This is, I have friends that are white that I love. I love black people, I love Latino, I love everybody, right? But it's even more painful when a black or Latino is standing by watching this. Now, I'm going to give a gift to you, and I happen to think I'm like a pretty good marketing and promotion guy. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I believe if an officer doesn't feel tough enough to stand at that spot while something is going on that's wrong, there should be some type of a system when he goes back to the precinct to report wrongdoing. And if he is tough enough and he has courage, he should stand there and grab his fellow colleague and say, this is wrong. If that would have happened, Eric, Eric Gardner would have been alive right now. And I've known this since I was a baby. That's a major key. That's a major key. Somebody has to step up. If you watch it. Okay, real, real quick, because we're out of time almost for the segment. Sure. Chief, I think, I believe he's talking to what we commonly call the blue wall of silence. Real, real quick comment, and then we got to go to a break, and I want to get to Whether some more black, white, questions. yellow, green, orange, or blue. If you see corruption, you see brutality, I expect you as a police officer to step in and stop it. And if you, you, you don't have that guts to stop it, you shouldn't be a police officer. And secondly, you can report anything. Anything can be reported. We have a system in place where a phone call could be made to our internal affairs division. All right, this is Street Soldiers, our special town hall on the NYPD and you. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this.
Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You did. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. This is a special town hall episode of Street Soldiers. We're talking about the NYPD and you. Policing in our communities, changes have been made, but have they gone far enough? And more importantly now, where do we go from here to try to close the gap between the police and especially communities of color? Um, our panel, hip-hop superstar, the one and only Fat Joe, longtime supporter of the community, first hip-hop artist ever on Street Soldiers. I'll never forget that. Thank you, Joe. Also with, us, also with us is Chief Terrence Monahan. He's the NYPD Chief of Patrol. He's one of the driving forces behind the switch and change in the NYPD to more neighborhood-based and neighborhood-accountable policing. Chief, great to have you with us. Also with us is City Council Member Jumani Williams. He's on the City Council's Public Safety Committee, among many other committees. Jumani, great to have you with us. And also with us is Police Officer Eric Morales. He came on the Police Department in in January of 2016 and currently works the 79th precinct in Bed-Stuy. Eric, great to have you, great to have you w with us. Thank you, um, great to be here. Hawk Newsom, leader of the Black Lives New York, you have a question or comment? There have been six murders of mentally ill people at the hands of police. One was in Jumani's district three weeks ago. Only 13% of police officers in uniform have the ability, have the training to deal with people who are mentally ill. Our people are dying. The police haven't made an assertive step or made any statements regarding the six deaths, including Deborah Dana in the last year. All right, we did it, and we did do a show on that, Chief. What about the 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 mentally dealing with the people who are in a mental health crisis? Once again, the 911 call goes to the police department and not to a mental health uh, particular, you know, a specialist or whatever. What do you think yeah. about that? That is a correct statement. So uh, the 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 when the goes to 911. It is, the response is as if something criminal has happened. And we need to change that so that it is a medical response. And I do think the mayor finally for now uh, and the police commissioner, there's going to be a task force uh, to review this uh, precisely. Uh, I'm thankful so we can lift up the name of people like Dwayne June that happened in my district uh, so that we figure out a better way to do this. Because when someone calls for assistance, it should be treated as someone who needs some medical attention. Jumani, that last, that last sure. case in Brooklyn, I yes. was there yes. after it happened. The, everybody in that particular housing development knew that that man had problems. Mm -hmm. They tried to avoid him. He lived with a mother who was probably afraid of him too because she's the one that called 911. Straddles a police officer with a butcher knife. By that, at that but, point- but, but let me say this. So, and the, so I what, will say- what, the, why, the the, It the, wasn't the police responsibility hold on, up hold on, until because that Because one, the parents- Until he threatened the mother I do want to say that the parents have a different a different side, but there's two things there. One, I think if there's police going to be involved, and if they're not involved, something happens, people are going to blame the police, so they have to be there. But there should be someone who can also bring the medical attention side to it. That person was not there. Of the four officers who were there, three of them had CIT training on how to deal uh, with people with, uh, who are emotionally disturbed. But when one of them knocks you wait, down and has a knife minute, to your one throat. One of them didn't. The one who didn't I'm is the one saying. who killed Dwayne June. He had shot another EDP person a year prior and right. had no additional Chief, Chief, training. what about that? I have to respond to that, of course. The first incident that he responded to wasn't for an emotionally disturbed person. That was an incident where the call came in and he actually called on himself as a man armed with a gun and a knife. And when the officers responded, he charged at them with the knife. In this incident, the entire incident took place within 14 seconds of entering that apartment. A person ran to the back. This, this individual ran out with a knife, knocked out cop to the ground, straddled him. The officer had to, ha had to fire at that point. Uh, obviously, it's still under investigation, but uh, no CIT training, no, no conversation was able to take place at that. These are hor horrible incidents. Anytime we lose but a life, it's horrible. But I'd rather have a discussion with him having the CIT training as opposed to him not having but the CIT Jumani, training. But Jumani, when somebody has a weapon to your, and something is 14 seconds, there's no time for yeah, a discussion but What I like to look at and I say, if That's given the same set point. of circumstances, if the person looked differently, would there have been a different response? But Very let me, often, let me I'm going to look at that situation. Sure. I'm going to put you, I'm going to put you on the hot seat on that. Sure. What is the city council doing to create what was supposed to be this mental health emergency services Great. So, for, so that the mother could have called him before he got to the point where so, he pulled a knife and was threatening so her? What I, so, so 
there was a failure of the system all the way to the end where she had to call the police because that's was not what she reached. But outcome. I would say, and I, and I did say I'm thankful that both the main police commissioner have agreed uh, to the council's request to immediately start a task force to review this system from top to bottom. Okay, that was good. My so request that's a step. That's a step forward. Let's take a question. We'll try to get some questions yeah, and comments now, in. If I could just comment on that before we, we, we go to the next question. Yeah. You, you mentioned about knowing what is, what is going on in that situation before we get there. Our central dispatch now does read us over if there is a prior EDP history there, if there's prior domestic violence history there. We are able to access that on our department phones and on the tablets that are in the vehicle. So when we do get to that situation, sometimes you do only have seconds to, to react, whether it be 14 seconds or you have a couple minutes to try and interact with this person. Anytime we interact with anyone, we always try to gain verbal compliance. When we gain verbal compliance, we're trying to use the minimum amount of force necessary to get to whatever the goal of that interaction is. If it be medical attention that needs to get, get to this individual, we have EMS rolling and responding. Sometimes we have our ESU uh, unit responding as well to try and get this person the help that they do need. I can All right, let me take a look. Let me, I, got, I don't want to get a sidetrack. We, okay. We'll take one and more And I also took the question. training as well, that, and I ended up having to kill the person that we went as a police. Like, I've done that training, so I understand it. So I say it, not, not as you, but I say it with experiencing that. What I'm saying is that was a specific case, uh, and it does follow a pattern. I don't want to talk about specifics because it was 14 seconds, but there is a pattern of not responding to EDP the but way that we should. But there's also a pattern of not having mental health services available to, to low-income people. We agree. And a lot of these mothers, and it's a lot of time as a mother with the person, that the, the child, the adult child disagree. that has the problems. We agree. And there needs to be support for them. Okay, let's take a question or comment. Um, good evening. My name is Selena Lee. I'm a former Marine Corps veteran and a student at St. John's University. My Selena, thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you for your support. My question is, I don't understand why we have police officers with military-grade service rifles if they're here to protect and serve. I myself have been pulled over and the cop at the window has an M60A4 service rifle in my face, which is a safety violation in the military. So that's, that's my question. Again, right. this is a different world that we live in. Was it a regular patrol car or was it a special, one of the specialized It was a regular patrol car and it was actually in the Bronx that I got pulled over. Okay. That, 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 I would like to know and talk to you afterwards about that because that's not our normal routine patrol taking out those weapons. Those weapons are secured in the back of the vehicle. You know, we look around the world, the terrorist incidents that have happened. In the Bataclan, in, uh, in, in France, people with heavy weaponry came out. This is a different world that we live in. We have to protect it. So our, our critical response cars and our SRG, who are trained in terrorist response, in uh, how to respond to an incident. They're the ones that have these, uh, these, these guns. We'll have them out uh, at various locations throughout the city. At, uh it's, it's unfortunate what happened to you, but I feel safe when they have a gun like that, and I know these terrorists are running over 30, 40 people in the middle of the street. And I'll be honest. I do wanna, I do wanna say because quickly, Jumani, we're up. I, I know we're we're gonna I'm close out, but one, it's a whole other uh, discussion. Uh, there is way too much access to guns in this country, period, and we should have a discussion. And I know we're closing out because your question was, uh, um, have we gotten where we need to go, right? And the answer is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask everybody real quick, what what what, okay. what would you like to do, Jumani? What well, can you one, do? then we haven't, right? We have to normalize this conversation. Sometimes when we get, we can normalize conversations about uh, uh, medication, medication, uh, medicine, teaching. When it comes to policing, for some reason, it gets just too contentious. We have to normalize the ability to talk about better policing in general. But also, and this is across the country, we need to be just as angry with agencies that deal with education, that deal with housing, that deal with jobs, because they're yes, killing yes, us. Yes. It's just happening at a slower rate. As and they take it out on the police department. Absolutely. Eric Morales, what, what do you see for your future here? Um, to kind of close out. Um, well, to, actually, to a question that was uh, asked earlier about knowing um, the, the officers that are in your community. You, you knew your uh, neighborhood coordination officer by first name. There's no reason why anybody shouldn't know all of the officers in their community by their first name. Communication does go both ways. We're opening up communication. You guys can come and, come and communicate with us as well. Feel free, come up to us. We'll carry department cell phones. We'll have our own phone numbers. We have contact cards. Every, every officer on patrol ca carries those. We'll be more, more than happy to give you a card. Anybody wants to grab my card after, I, I have some cards on me. 
If you ever have any questions, you could always reach out to any officer to mentor any question that you might have. And going forward, um, my cousin once told me, uh, you're, always, you're only as good as your next move. So we're, we're, we're taking some steps here, and we're going to continue forward going into the future. All right, Eric, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. I was going to get to that, Jumani. I'm going to take a vote from the audience. Chief, Chief moving ahead, where do you, we, we talked about where, what has happened in the past, where we got to, and kind of where we're hoping to go, you know, as a city, as a community, as just as human beings. What's your vision? got this city down to crime numbers that are unbelievably low. The violence is, is so low that we're setting records every month in, in the amount of homicides and shootings that occur in this city. <laughs> but I also think there's a lot of things, including the police department, including how we address gun violence with not just the police department, the crisis management system, all of those things. But we did it while lowering okay, stop. Absolutely. They're just falling right on. Is that the way we move forward as a city is together. We cannot do this separately. There's no way a police department can solve every problem out there. We've done this by working together with our communities, and we want to continue to move forward. We have a lot of people involved. We need more involved. We need people who don't normally come out to meetings to come out, meet their cop, get to know their cop. I'm going to give you a quick commercial. You go online, buildtheblock.nyc. You go on there and you'll find out, put your address in. You're going to find out where your local cop is having a meeting in your neighborhood. Go there, introduce yourself to that cop, address the issues. The bosses aren't going to be there, so you'll be sitting there talking to a cop like Eric, talking about what's happening in your neighborhood, because our cops and the people who live in those neighborhoods, they're all part of the same community. All right, thank you, Chief. Joe, I'm going to give you the last word here. Chief, we would call that a shameless plug in hip-hop, but we appreciate it. <laughs> I want to thank you, Chief, for falling on a sword and taking the bashing on you here tonight. <laughs> but it's the only way we're going to get ahead is embracing each other, talking to each other, and showing love to each other. So I appreciate you, Chief, and let's keep this talk going. Let's definitely keep it talk. Give it up for our audience. And give it up for our panelists, Eric Morales, Jumani Williams, Chief Terrence Monahan, Fat Joe, and I want to thank everybody that came out and uh, was part of this important, groundbreaking town hall. Let's do it again, really. Yeah. We'll do it again. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being, being with us for this special town hall episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. And let's push for peace. <laughs>